everyone, this is Charles, and uh, this is another uh, issue of the Philomath series on Musings. This is uh, issue 3, and we're going to be covering the peer prediction mechanism uh, this time. And also talk about uh, just a couple applications of the peer prediction mechanism, which are relevant to uh, uh, really to blockchain, uh, smart contracts and data oracles, uh, really blockchain overall, and uh, a really cool application which combines uh, the peer protection mechanism with blockchain and open science. So uh, that's what's going to be uh, on the menu for this episode. All right. So uh, uh, once again, this is your speaker, Charles, uh, and then we'll just uh, get started. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard the peer protection mechanism before, but uh, I'll just provide a really brief uh, introduction to it. And uh, once again, just talk about a couple of the applications. Yeah, this one's something that's just been coming up on my uh, radar pretty recently. Uh, especially for uh, looking at some uh, game theory mechanism design and applying that to uh, to blockchain to hopefully uh, lead to more adoption. And so, uh, you know, this has been uh, coming up and I just really want to inform, uh, you know, everyone who's listening in about the peer protection mechanism because I think it does have some really cool applications uh, for blockchain and especially to get around a lot of the, uh, the issues, especially surrounding data oracles and uh and just uh really making uh, even smart contracts themselves uh uh you know have a little bit more uh extensibility compared with what they currently have and especially be able to deal with uh information that comes uh, from outside of the blockchain so of course that's where your data oracle to come in but you know dealing with those two uh kinds of issues and without further ado uh here we go so the peer prediction mechanism comes from uh, you know, the discipline of really a uh, game theory mechanism design and uh, and the uh, computer science. Uh, so at least for my uh, blockchain scientists and researchers, this would really be a, a really you know, that's pretty much you know where your uh, error really comes in. Also for uh, people who work in uh, token engineering and crypto economics, like this is really uh, where this uh, mechanism comes uh, comes from and where it would be most applicable. So at least uh, when it comes to the peer prediction mechanism, really where it becomes applicable is in situations when you want to elicit uh, truthful or honest uh, information from a group of agents uh, in a context where where uh, there's actually like no uh, objective uh, ground truth. Or it could just be that to even get the ground truth, this you know costs uh, costs too much uh, to acquire the information. So those are at least uh, you know at least the general context where uh, the peer prediction mechanism makes sense. And uh, as I just explained a little bit, you know you're trying to elicit truthful information, honest information. So really, it's uh, you know it's kind of falls under the category of an honest rating mechanism, just getting people to report uh, honest ratings. So at least some of the areas uh, where uh, where it applies, and it's really you know many different diverse areas. So really any place where you have this kind of uh, uh, kind of issue, this is when you would want to take a look at the peer prediction mechanism. So uh, for example, if you're just trying to uh, get feedback on a on a new restaurant, so you know, for example, going on Yelp and looking at uh, reviews of restaurants and trying to you know, hopefully, you know, you're hoping that the people who are actually reviewing these restaurants are giving honest, uh, honest feedback on, you know, the meals, the ambiance, uh, you know, the, how the staff, uh, was doing, uh, quality of food, you know, all of that. 
And of course, you know, if you've ever been on Yelp and, uh, you know, search for a restaurant, you know, usually all you see is just like one stars, five stars. And, you know, you all, you know, all wonder, it's like, why is, you know, why is uh, so many people, you know, why are so many people giving uh, a one star or a five star? You know, it's pretty strange that people would give a five or people would give a one. You know, it's such a, you know, vast uh, golf in quality. And, you know, rarely do you see like, you know, anything that's in between. So... You know, that's one of the areas where you'd really like people to be, you know, give you honest feedback. Like, is it really good or is it actually bad? And, uh, you know, when are they actually going to, you know, give you that kind of information? And, you know, if you do re read any of those reviews on Yelp, you do realize this a lot of the times. Uh, their reviews don't really make sense for uh, for the ratings. Like, they're like, oh, this is really good, but, uh, you know, uh, there's also buts. And then it's like, oh, here's your bad rating. And, you know, it doesn't really make uh you know, the most sense sometimes, but, you know, it's just one of the, you know, one of the areas, and then another one, of course, would be, uh, you know, for, like, peer review or peer assessment, so if you, you know, you got a research paper and you want to get, uh, get it peer reviewed, that would be another area where uh, this would really make sense, since, you know, it's really hard to get, you know, an, an objective answer on the quality of the paper, and, uh, you know, an actual cause of, like, getting, <laughs> uh, uh, or again, even the, the actual, uh, you know, objective truth is like ridiculously high, you know, for at least for most people. Uh, so that's also another area where, uh, where this is applicable. Uh, another, uh, area as well as courses, uh, you know, other than restaurant reviews, like, oh, you can also look at product reviews and, you know, similar thing you also see with like Amazon's reviews, you know, you see fives and ones, uh, so you get that nice little U shape. <laughs> So that'd be another area where you want people to give you honest feedback, like how good was the actual product, instead of just, you know, fives and ones, which, you know, doesn't really help people uh, too much. So yeah, so those are some of the areas where you could apply the peer protection mechanism. Then. And ideally what you'd want to use the peer protection with is like, you know, you want to have, you know, multiple participants uh, who are you know, uh, listing, uh, information to you. So, uh, so at least when you talk about listening information, I'll just call that reports from now on. So you have these, uh, multiple participants giving you reports. Uh, and then from, you know, once they give you the reports, uh, you're going to score this report and based on what score you get that reports, that's going to uh, determine how much of a, of a reward you're going to give this uh, participant. So uh, at least, you know, regarding the actual uh, payment mechanism that comes along with uh, uh, with peer prediction, at least what you're usually looking for as uh, is, is a situation where you're trying to somewhat be able to predict uh, the uh, reports that you get from uh, from uh, from participants. Sorry, from participants other than the participant you're actually scoring. Uh, uh, and usually, you know. The, the main way that you go about this is with, uh, is with some sort of correlation. Uh, so you're usually looking at some joint distribution between, uh, you know, the signals that are given between uh, uh, the participants. So, uh, so just like an easy example, just be like, oh, if I give a product review uh, on Amazon, let's say I give a five. Uh, so my score and my reward payment would depend on uh, really the correlation between the score I gave, which was a five, and the score everyone else was gonna give. So, you know, let's say I give a five, you know, for this product, but everyone else gave a one. You know, correlation-wise, that's pretty bad. Uh, so, you know, my uh, reward for uh, for giving the five, you know, it's either, it's gonna be a lot worse than if I had just given a one. That's, 
you know, if you look at the correlation between the five and, and everyone else reporting a one, it's like, oh, that makes no sense. So that's kind of how, you know, at least how you want to reward uh, people for giving you, you know, truthful information or, uh, or honest information. So that's kind of the reward uh, payment scheme <laughs> for, uh, uh, for for peer prediction. Uh, and, you know, peer prediction has been applied in uh, many different uh, settings. So, uh, so, for example, you know, you might have like a homogeneous task session uh, where people, where everyone's just completing the same task. You might uh, have a heterogeneous task uh, setting where people are completing different tasks uh, all at the same time. Uh, so, uh, so uh, let's just say an example for like a single task would just be, uh, you know, someone just like giving a rating for a, uh, f uh, so just going back to our products, I'll just give it a straight rating for a, for a product. So just like you know, either, you know, uh, you know, a good or bad or, you know, one through five uh, rating. And everyone just completes that single task. Uh, in a uh, multitask, uh, setting you might have people you know complain multiple tasks so if we go back uh to uh it's like the restaurant examples on yelp it's like instead of just giving the one through five you also have to give information about uh you know the quality of the food uh how is the wait staff what was the ambience uh you know was it busy or not was it noisy how accessible was it uh you know it's uh you know is there a good amount of seating uh you know, what's the pricing like? You know, so that would be like multitask where people just completing multiple, you know, uh, multiple tasks uh, regarding, uh, you know, at least the task would be questions about the restaurants. So that would be a, a multitask kind of a, a situation. Uh, so yeah, so that's, you know, at least two, uh, you know, at least two areas uh, which you could use for a uh, for task settings, and then another thing you also want to take account too as well, uh, it's just the uh, the signals that you'd be getting. So, uh, so for example, at least when you know I refer signals, that's just that's something to inform uh, people about you know what you've done and to get uh, them to act as well. So at least you know when you're reporting uh, your score on the on the product review of a one through five, that would be a signal. And that tells people like, hey, this guy put a five. Like, okay, that guy put a five. I'm gonna take a look at why you gave a five. Or if someone gets a one, okay, let me take a look at the one. You know, that's the signal that's you know the five is like, oh, it's great. One is set, oh, it's really bad. And that's kind of an example of a signal. So that's another thing you'd also want to take account as well. It's just like the type of signals uh, that you're getting. So for example, like, you might just have like a binary uh, signal, which is you know. Uh, you know, for example, good or bad or zero or one, you know, it's just, you know, it's either or, you know, nothing really in between. Or you might have a uh, signal uh, which is non-binary, and that's when you, you might have, like, three questions. Uh, oh, sorry, like, three options, like, you know, it's, like, good, neutral, bad, or uh, zero, one, two. You know, something like, you know, something like that. So at least, you know, those are, you know, some things that, you know, I at least want people to, like, you know, I just want uh, to inform you guys about regarding uh, just the peer prediction mechanism itself uh, uh, regarding the settings. And so at least, you know, some of the, you know, there are many different peer prediction mechanisms. And so at least before I get to some of the types, I just want to mention something else uh, regarding the peer prediction uh, mechanism. So at least, you know, one of the things that 
you really want to go for with uh, with pure prediction is that you really want to make sure that uh, this, you know, there's at least two problems you always got to deal with. It's trying to, one, make sure people actually invest efforts uh, into making a report. Uh, and then, of course, you want to make sure people, uh, you know, will not lie to you in the report. So those are like two challenges you have to deal with because, you know, this, you know, disregarding, you know, the fact you're getting a reward, you know, people might try to strategically, uh, you know, uh, misreport or give, uh, you know, false information because, uh, you know, of course, if they give this false information, they still might get a better payout than if they were, uh, you know, being honest. So that's something you want to always watch out for. And, uh, and of course, we're assuming that, you know, the actual people who are giving these reports and usually, uh, you know, at least you'll see in the in the literature, uh, you know, the participants are usually just called agents. So uh, so you might see the word agents as well. So, you know, you, that's something you also have to worry about is that you don't want agents working uh, uh, against you uh, to give, uh, you know, false information and still get a reward, which... Uh, would have been the same as if they had given you uh, truthful information. And then the other one, of course, is that you want to make sure people actually invest the effort. Because sure, this, you know, this, of course, that's not honest information, because they're not, uh, uh, you know, they didn't actually try or actually, like, experience uh, what you want them to experience. And so, you know, for example, let's say you're taking a test and, you know, that's your task, but you don't really care about this test at all. So you just put down, you know, C every single time. It's like C, 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 C. And, uh, and so you just put C's down. And of course, this is, you know, of course, it's not you trying to lie, but at the same time, it's not, you know, you putting in any effort. So, of course, how honest is it? It's not, not, not very helpful and, you know, not necessarily very honest. So that's, you know, at least two things you'd have to really take, uh, take into account. And uh, at least, uh, you know, regarding those two problems, like really what that affects, of course, is your, uh, uh, your uh, natural equilibrium and really what you want to ensure that uh, pretty much that, you know, uh, that's the best strategy for anyone, uh, you know, any of these agents. Uh, well, not necessarily your best strategy, but just that's the strategy uh, that they can't find any better strategy than being honest. So that's what you're always, you know, trying to make sure of is that, uh, is that no matter, you know, what strategy people take uh, with the reporting, that's, you know, if they ever took another strategy other than being honest, it wouldn't be a better payout than them uh, being honest. So if we go back to the lying example, like people might lie and still get a payout, which could be better than them being honest. Like you don't want that happening. Because, you know, if that happens and we expect uh, our agents to be rational, so they're trying to maximize their reward as much as possible, they're usually going to go for that. Uh, and of course, that's something to worry about. And yeah, you know, I think we've all had situations where you know we're playing a game, it's everything's going well. The next thing you know, the person you're playing is just like destroys you or something, and just like uh, kind of you know, uh, kind of cheats you and kind of like uh, gets you back for something. You're just like, what? I can't believe you would do that. But of course, they're like, hey, I'm just trying to maximize my wins here. You know, like if you ever play a team game and then, like one of your teammates just like attacks you. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of situations where you're just like, uh, well, like, bro, like, why would you do that to me? But he's like, hey, I'm just trying to maximize my, uh, you know, earnings in the game. So, 
you know, it's, you know, just something to, to keep in mind and always be, uh, be aware of, uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, not just the pure production, but just anytime you're trying to design a game, it's just to almost watch out for the Nash equilibrium. Yeah. So an additional thing to also, uh, keep in mind, it's also just like the number of, uh, of participants. So the more participants you have, the, another reason why you might need to adapt, uh, the pure production mechanism. And so, uh, at least with the peer production mechanism, really uh, came out in uh, 2005 with the with the seminal work by uh, Nolan Miller, Paul Resnick, and uh, Richard Seckhauser in uh, 2005 uh, uh, in the paper "Listening Inform Informative Feedback: The Peer Production Method." And so, from there, uh, from 2005, it's really just been growing and being adapted uh, in so many different ways to fit so many different uh, settings. Uh, a couple I just talked about a little bit earlier, but uh, you know that's led to a lot of different uh, different types of peer production uh, mechanisms. And two important notes, which I unfortunately should have mentioned a little bit earlier, but uh, but the peer production uh, mechanisms that uh, you might also see uh, the word minimal uh, as a term uh, uh, in the literature, at least when uh, referring to the peer production mechanism. Minimal really just means that. You don't require any belief reports, so you just require uh, a signal or uh, or information. So pretty much that's just people. Uh, you know, going back to like the Amazon product review example, that's just people giving you uh, the score uh, uh, on a product, so like you know one through five, and that's it. But you don't ask them about their belief about uh, uh, whether or not they think other people think it's a one or five. <laughs> Uh, well, sorry, a one through five, because, you know, people and probabilities can get uh, really messy, so <laughs> that might not be uh, what you want to do. Uh, and then regarding the actual name of the equilibrium, I think I said a little bit earlier, also a Nash equilibrium. I should be uh, a little bit clearer there. It really should be the Bayes-Nash uh, equilibrium, uh, so sorry about that. And so that's a very brief and short introduction to the pure prediction mechanism. Uh, and if you want to read more about the peer production mechanism, you can usually just find some really good uh, uh, articles about it if you just search uh, on some uh, uh, with some scholarly search engines. And uh, we also will be providing a just like a, a really short reading list as well on uh, on the peer production mechanism and some of the applications uh, uh, in blockchain and uh, open science. And uh, hopefully that uh, you know better informs you of, uh, of this area other than, you know, my short little, uh, brief introduction here in this, uh, in this episode. So, uh, moving on to the actual, uh, uh, applications. So, uh, first I did talk about, you know, the first application really is, uh, you know, uh, data oracles, uh, when it comes, uh, to smart contracts on a blockchain. Uh, so before I really uh, talk about some of the ways uh, peer protection can help, I think it's very uh, uh, helpful to understand some of the problems that you have uh, with data oracles. And just to give a short little uh, description of uh, data oracles. And also just a short little uh, introduction to smart contracts. So I don't think it's a really good idea to just assume that everyone who's listening in knows about uh, uh, smart contracts and data oracles. So, you know, so regarding you know, a smart contract, really a smart contract is just uh, executable code on a uh, on a blockchain that primarily is for uh, uh, executing in a, a pre-established agreement between uh, two counterparties. And so, uh, you know, 
what, what this agreement is could you know, range from anything, but uh, really what uh, makes smart contracts really interesting is just the fact that uh, since it's executable code and you put it on a blockchain, like, no one can really stop it. So it's, uh, and more than that, you know, it's self-enforcing. So, you know, once you put the code up, it's just going to run the, as, as it's coded, which can be good and bad, uh, depending, of course, if you have any bugs in, uh, in your smart contracts. And that's usually where most of the issues come up uh, with, uh, uh, with smart contracts or, you know, making sure that it gets uh, checked out for bugs and, you know, getting that security audit. And then, uh, so since the smart contract can really be used uh, to really help execute uh, any agreement, uh, of course, you know, if you want to execute some agreement that uh, has any applicability to the real world, or, you know, something that's off the blockchain, uh, you're going to run into a lot of problems because the blockchain only knows about the blockchain since it's a closed system. Uh, the blockchain really only knows what's on the, uh, on the chain. If it's not on the chain, the blockchain just can't know. And this goes uh, as well for uh, for the smart contracts. Uh, so this is where data oracles come in. So data oracles are meant to connect uh, smart contracts uh, to the outside world. And so data oracles pretty much act as uh, external data feeds. So uh, the data oracle will get uh, information from the real world and then plug that into the smart contract so the smart contract can use that, uh, uh, that data to, uh, to execute uh, the agreements, uh, you know, based on uh, whether any conditions present have uh, have occurred. So that's really where uh, your data oracles really come in. Uh, and so I'm not really going to talk about any of the problems with uh, smart uh, smart contracts, but I will focus on some of them with uh, with data oracles. Specifically, so there are uh, there are a couple, and uh, you know at least with uh, with data oracles, this is really where pure prediction uh, I think has some really good uh, applicability. So uh, let's say you know we have a smart contract and uh, between uh, between two parties, and let's just say it is for uh, uh, for uh, uh, let's just say it's just insurance uh, uh, on a motor vehicle, so it's just auto insurance, and it's for uh, for accident insurance. And uh, and, the, and let's say the parties here is that you know you have the insured, uh, that's the person who's driving the car, and then the insurer, which is the insurance company. And so uh, let's uh, and let's say you know the, in the smart contracts, you know if the insured claims that uh, you know that they were in an accident, that uh, the smart contract will pay it, you know, will get provide them a payout uh, to uh, compensate them and you know, make them whole for uh, for the accident that occurred. And so one of the problems that you can have uh, in this scenario is that uh, you know, the insured knowing that. If they make a claim that they will get to pay out, uh, you know, they might, uh, you know, file a false claim. You know, claim that's oh my, you know, my car got into an accident when it really didn't get into an accident. And for uh, for the insurer, the insurance company, uh, the big problem for them is you know how do we determine that uh, you know whether there was an accident actually actually occurred and whether we should actually pay out. And of course, you still want to do this within a you know a reasonable time. Because uh, that's one of the you know, advantages you get from smart contracts, and at least it's one of the proposed advantages. So, you know, if it's not faster using smart contracts, people will just go back to traditional methods. So that's something else to uh, keep in mind. But you know, just in this example, it's like, oh, okay, this the insured claims that uh, their car was an accident, so they can get a payout from their policy. 
and, and of course, you know, let's just say that's uh, an example the insurance, uh, you know, did not actually end up in an accident. You know, the insurance car is damaged, but they didn't get into an accident. They just, uh, you know, just bad driving. Let's just say the, you know, they were, uh, uh, they were driving this, like, you know, weren't paying attention or they fell asleep and they like hit a pole or, or something. But something that's like believable enough to look like it might have been another car and got into an accident. <laughs> Uh, so the insured, you know, claims, hey, my car got into an accident, I need to pay out from the smart contract. And the insurance company's like, well, okay, we'll pay it out, but we don't really know if, uh, if there was really an accident. And, you know, like, how, how are we supposed to know this? So this is where, you know, the data oracle would come in, and the data oracle would be the one that's monitoring uh, this insured and uh, checking whether or not... Uh, you know, that's, uh, that insurance, uh, you know, whether or not the insurance actually lying or not. So, you know, that's at least the problem I just talked about earlier, something that arises with just a smart contract itself and the fact that you don't get to outside the information and one of your solutions is having the data oracle, which would have the information about, uh, the actual, uh, accident. So like, you know, like, oh, is there an accident report? You know, what's that file with the police? You know, that would be really helpful. Uh, you know, was there like any recorded footage, you know, stuff you would usually use to, uh, you know, assess a claim. And, you know, that's the stuff you would actually want your uh, data oracle to have. But of course, you know, some, you know, certain situations you might not, you just might not have that. So that also becomes a problem, it's, you know, is that, you know, we want real world information, but how uh, verifiable is that real world information? How much does it cost to verify? Because, you know, the cost of verifying might actually exceed the payout. And if it does, then it makes just more sense to pay out. And of course, that's, I mean, it's not good for the insurance company, but, uh, you know, of course, you know, there's, there are situations where it does just happen to be that, like, it just costs much more to just to deal with the problem than just let the problem, you know, subsist. So, uh, that's, you know, something to, to keep in mind. And so, at least that's where data articles kind of come in. But, of course, you know, you also have some of these uh, problems that can arise with data articles is that, uh, you know, of course, since it's off the chain, uh, you don't necessarily get the guarantees that you would from, uh, from the blockchain. So, you know, if I make a data article and, you know, it's on the chain, but of course, uh, you know, it's connected to something that's off the chain. Someone can always try to mess around with what's off the chain or try to uh, feed uh, inaccurate or false information. So, you know, one possible error that might happen is that your data article might just turn off. You know, there might be an error and it's just not reporting any information anymore to, uh, to your smart contract. And, you know, you might not know why, it might just be like an unfortunate random error. And, you know, usually like when this happens, they just shut everything down. But yeah, that might be, you know, one thing that could just happen. And it's like, well, okay, I gotta shut this thing off because, you know, it's not getting any information. So, uh, that's a problem. Uh, so that's, you know, really like the first problem. The second problem, of course, could just be that someone's feeding in, uh, inaccurate information. So, you know, let's say, you know, I've made a smart, you know, back to my insurance example, the insurance company and the insured, you know, they have their smart contract and the insurance company's like, okay, we need to get a data oracle. So let's go find a data oracle provider and they go talk to the data oracle provider and, you know, the data oracle provider, uh, you know, signs up and it's like, all right, we'll be the data oracle for the smart contract. And then it, as it turns out, 
you know, since now you have another third party, which you're trying to eliminate before with the, with the blockchain. And now that they've come in and they're once providing your uh, data Oracle, uh, you know, let's just say the insured realizes that you have to pay out uh, uh, from, uh, from their claim well, it will be enough to cover the damage that they cost to their own car and you know get them a little bit of a little bit extra and for uh for the that oracle provider uh you know they're just you know doing their job you know they're getting paid but they're like hey you know the insured tells uh the, the oracle provider hey uh let's collude together uh you know i'll make this false claim you send in the false claim and i'll give you a, a portion of uh of uh, of the payout and at least for the uh, Oracle provider, let's assume they're you know being ra uh, being rational. And they're trying to maximize uh, their earnings. Uh, you know they agree to it because they make more money uh, doing that than just uh, uh, providing the service. So you know let's say they collude and uh, you know they agree to it and then they make the claim and, and of course insurance companies like okay so they made a claim. Or that article did it really happen? The article says, "Yeah, it really happened." But you know, they're lying as well because they're you know in on the in on the con. <laughs> so that's something that you also have to worry about is you know third-party collusion, or uh, one of the parties colluding with uh, with the data oracle provider. So you know, those are you know two issues you really have to deal with. And then you know, it might just turn out that you know there might not be any collusion between. Uh, you know, the parties to the agreements and the, the, the Oracle provider it might just be the, the Oracle provider just it's just chaotic and they just like uh like messing around so they just might be feeding an accurate information just to mess around with you so that might also be a problem uh you know I just don't expect that to be like you know to occur very often but it's just something to always keep in mind is that sometimes you just deal with chaotic people and uh and chaotic providers so it's you know something just to keep in mind so those are, uh, you know, at least three uh, areas which can lead to problems for uh, uh, for data oracles, uh, which you know, which you are going to have to deal with. And most importantly, too, uh, you know, everything just mentions like, you know, at least when it comes to like reporting from the data oracle, you know, the data oracle gets a report, and then you know, this person gets paid from the smart contract. Those are two separate uh, uh, transactions. So. You know, there's the payment from the smart contract, and then there's the reporting of the data oracle. So those are two separate things. So, uh, you know, that's you know technically a payment coming from. Uh, I mean, let's just say that's like a side payment. So, you know, first you get the report from the data oracle on whether uh, the accident actually happened, and then the smart contract gives you the actual payout. So, uh, you know, that's just. Uh, you know, technically, that's the real payments of smart contract, but the, the diarchal itself has no payment involved. So that's you know one of those really tricky areas where you have two, uh, you know, two transactions you're actually dealing with. One, the smart contract, and then two, the diarchal. So that's just another thing to keep in mind, uh, especially if you're trying to get people to be honest. Is that you have two transactions? They need to be honest both in. And lastly, the other thing, of course, you also got to worry about is just the cost of verifying this information. Uh, so I, I did mention this a little bit earlier, this you know, scenario where really a pair protection mechanism can actually shine. But, uh, you know, just going back to the uh, insurance example, you know, with the insured and the, uh, and the insurer, you know, it's like, how much does it cost to actually verify, you know, that claim? That's, you know, that's uh, a very important thing to worry about, it's just the cost of verifying that claim. 
and you know how much money can we actually save from you know trying to avoid verifying while uh, you know <laughs> while determining whether we should pay out or not. So that's uh, that's just like another cause you always have to think about. And you know really ideally you know the more objective the information is, usually the easier it is to uh, to verify. You know, so for example, uh, you know, just like what's what's the you know like what's the score of uh, of a sports game going on, or you know, let's just say it's like a, a basketball game is going on, and then you want to know what the final score is. Like that's generally easily verifiable for anyone, uh, especially if you're trying to like do a decentralized approach to uh, to verify information. <laughs> Uh, instead of going with like a centralized approach, which you kind of would be doing with like a data oracle provider, uh, you know, there's just a single data oracle provider. Uh, so, you know, if you're going, uh, you know, so just going back to the basketball game uh, example, you know, if like a centralized provider of that information would just be like the uh, the National Basketball Association, uh, NPA for short, you know, like they would give you the score and that'd be a centralized solution. Uh, the centralized version of that would be, uh, you know, just like posting a question and asking people uh, on change like, hey, what's, uh, what's the score of this game? You know, what's the final score of the game? And just asking like random people, you know, uh, for example, like you just ask people on, like on Reddit or Twitter, like what, what's the final score? Like that would be a decentralized approach. And of course, you know, you'll, you know, both have their concerns, but you know, usually, you know, as I mentioned, like at least with the centralized ones, like you have to trust the centralization. Well, uh, you know, with the decentralized one, you hope you don't have to trust them. But you know, it really depends on where you're going to stretch, you know, stretch trust and how, uh, you know, how much does it cost to verify the information. So uh, you know, at least that's uh, kind of one of the approaches that's uh, that's taken by, uh, by example, one of the prediction market platforms, Ogre. So with Ogre, at least you know, there's like a two-step thing where you have people, you know, first step, people bet uh, on a on a mark on a you know in the market. <laughs> Sorry. So you know, first you have people bet, and then second step, you have people uh, votes on the uh, veracity of the information. So that way it's kind of like a decentralized approach uh, to verify information. Uh, and you know, you're hoping that you know, the information you're verifying is mostly objective, but that's just another way of going about it. But you know, there are certain situations where you know, that might not be really the most helpful, uh, especially if you're dealing with uh, something that's very hard to verify. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that. But uh, yeah, so those are some of the problems you can have with uh, data oracles, and uh, you know, since you're bringing in data oracles, you're technically reintroducing, uh, you know, third parties uh, to transactions. Unless of course you have your own data oracle, but that also can be very. I mean, that in itself can actually lead to a loss of trust too in the transaction because you know the counterparty might not be very trustworthy of you know the their counterparty owning and using the data oracle in their transaction uh you know even though it's like it might be on chain so you get to see but then again you know it's just a it's just a concern that the data oracle is owned by one of the counterparties so and it's just another concern you got to think about so at least regarding you know the concerns about uh, uh about data oracles that's uh those are some of the things you're gonna have to take into uh consideration and so at least when you know where uh you know peer prediction can really come in it's really that uh, 
you know, if you're, especially if you're dealing with, uh, with information where there's no, uh, you know, reliable ground truth or, you know, it costs too much to verify, you can just try to use the peer prediction uh, uh, mechanism to get uh, the data oracles. You know, if you're using, like, instead of going with the centralized approach, let's just focus on the decentralized approach because uh, this doesn't really help you too much on a centralized approach. Uh, and then again, you want to avoid centralized approaches uh, since we are trying to use blocking. So let's go with the decentralized approach and uh, have just multiple people, you know, feeding you information. So, you know, you have multiple data oracles, you know, working together and you just want to get some subjective information. Uh, so for example, let's just, you know, you just ask people, okay guys, what is like the, you know, what is your review for a, uh, for a restaurant? It's like, you know, what score do you want to give? And so, you know, you want people to, of course, to be honest uh, with you, because you want to feed that into your, you know, into a smart contract. So you want, you want the best information for your smart contract and hopefully it's the most honest. So if you can incentivize people to be honest and then you just look at, uh, the information coming in from these data oracles and I mean, technically give everyone like a, a reputation score uh, based on that and then you know from there you're like okay you know taking a look here oh, okay these people got this payout these guys got this payout and you know uh, of course based on uh you know how honest they are and hopefully everything's you know checked out like oh, okay i know which oracles to go with now uh because you know they're the ones reporting the most honestly and then you know, that should give you uh you help you out with some of those earlier problems, uh, especially regarding you know people, uh, you know just uh, you know not putting in any effort and just letting the that oracle just like stop, uh, you know just stop uh, feeding in information to your smart contract. So like that's for that's an example of a lack of efforts, and that's something that you try to also deal with uh, in the pure prediction mechanism, and then also trying to stop people from. Uh, uh, you know, from just inputting just straight false information. So that'd be another one uh, that you can try to mitigate with, uh, with the pure protection mechanism. Uh, collusion, that one's a lot, a little bit tougher to deal with uh, because uh, you, know, you have two separate transactions. So one, they're reporting by a data oracle and then another by, uh, uh, by one of the uh, uh, parties to the actual smart contract itself. But, uh, but you can still actually use the peer prediction mechanism there. You just got to take into account that there's two transactions and that, uh, you know, there might be, you know, there is always an incentive for, you know, the parties to be lying to each other. Uh, so, you know, as long as you take into account those extra incentives, you can probably still apply uh, the peer prediction mechanism. And there are, you know, types of the peer prediction mechanism which are made, which at least have been designed to try to deal with... Uh, additional uh, finding incentives that could arise from uh, from other transactions uh, which are separate from just the reporting of the, the information itself. So those are some of the you know short ways you can uh, apply uh, uh, peer protection uh, for data oracles and uh, yeah, I didn't really go over uh, all uh, all the issues uh, that come along with data oracles or all the applications for peer prediction, but that's really uh, what you want. Uh, uh, to, you know, at least, you know, hopefully, I just give you like a general idea of how you would go about uh, doing that uh, with the with a peer prediction mechanism, and at least, you know, some things you also want to, you know, think about as well as just like, you know, can you ever expect people to be honest uh, with you? And at least, in, you know. You know, if you have enough, you know, 
people uh, on your platform so you're just like crowdsourcing people like you can usually expect like some people to be honest yeah that's fairly a safe assumption fairly uh so yeah science all thing about science all thing about but yeah for uh for data oracles that's uh one way we can uh, do it and hopefully uh, you know use a pre-production to give you know those honest ratings and ensure that people only get paid you know when they uh you know when they're actually elicit uh you know truthful information so that's one of the ways that peer prediction can really help us out regarding data oracles and hopefully you know we see a lot more uh data oracle providers or uh networks i mean ideally i'd, I'd like to see more uh, decentralized uh, oracle networks i mean there is chain link but you know i mean then how decentralized they are can be uh you know you can you know, that's a little bit that's debatable so you know, hopefully we do see a little bit more uh, decentralized oracle networks coming about uh, later on and of course it also depends like how you know how decentralized is decentralized uh, in this context so uh, something to think about but uh, moving on to uh, uh, to the uh, open science uh, application uh, so a really specific one uh, and this is kind of based on uh, this paper that I got the chance to read uh, and this will also be uh, on the reading list uh, as well. Uh, yeah, this was a really good paper, and uh, I really do recommend uh, taking a look at this. It's honestly pretty incredible what these guys uh, put together, and uh, I just think it probably just needs a little bit more attention. So at least the paper itself is just called uh, uh, To Concurate Registry with Citation Graph. So this is the one, uh, as paper is like a really good example of combining peer prediction uh, with two other curated registries and, and in the context of, uh, of peer review. So there's the open science uh, uh, aspects coming in. So here we have, you know, three things put together. Hey, you know, we got, you know, we got blockchain, we got open science, we got game theory. What's up? What's up? Uh, so at least uh, in this, uh, you know, in, in this context, and really just based off the the paper itself and uh, once again this will be on the reading list uh, so at least uh, y'all just give a quick uh, you know introduction to uh, token QA registries uh, TCR uh, for short so you know pretty much what a token QA registry is it's pretty much a data oracle itself uh, I mean you might have heard about it. it's uh, around like 2017 2018 yeah, they didn't really pop off uh, as much as it seemed like it would be, it would have, sorry, uh, around that time. I think, you know, I think it's probably just like design considerations and just the fact that at least when they were initially trying to think of token career registries, it really came out uh, with like subjective information, like, you know, actual create lists, which itself is, you know, kind of a problem. And, you know, that's kind of also where like peer protection comes in, because, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, just getting you know, one ground truth, and then two, uh, you know, how much does it cost to verify? And at least when it comes to things, you know, where there's, uh, you know, where it's very subjective, you know, that's really extremely difficult and uh, costly to actually do that. Uh, so uh, at least regarding token curated registries, you know, they pretty much do act as like a, as data oracles. Uh, so really what's, you know, a token curated registry is trying to do is to use a, a, a some, uh, Kind of like a tokenized uh, way of uh, of suggesting uh, curators uh, 
well, to, well, yeah, curators to curate content. Uh, and ideally, you're, you're going to use it to create a curated list of information. So, I mean, what you're ideally trying to do is just make a, you know, just a really high quality list of, uh, of, uh, of contents, ideally off-chain. So, uh, you know, like a pretty good, uh, you know, like a good example of just, uh, of, uh, of like a curated list would just be like, uh, you know, like if you look at like, a list on, uh, on Yelp, it's like, oh, like, what are the best, like, uh, like Chinese restaurants in town? Like, that's curated list. Uh, if someone's looking for, like, you know, where are, like, some of the best, uh, uh, like, games, uh, that came out this year, or, like, the best games in the category, like, that's a curated list. So, you know, these curated lists are, like, all, are all over the place, so, uh, you know, you've probably interacted with them and the, or even used them before, and they're they are pretty helpful. And so, at least with uh, you know, as the same library, like you use tokens, but really use uh, the tokens so it's more of a recommendation system. So that's you know the you know whoever uh, uh, so yeah so <laughs> yeah sorry about that. So really, at least when it comes to like using the tokens for uh, TCRs. And just kind of just like a simple example of how you would use one. Uh, so uh, let's say I'm a, I'm a person who wants to add something uh, to the TCR. Uh, let's just say it's a restaurant list and I want to add my favorite Chinese restaurant because I think it's the bomb. And it is the bomb because I have a great taste in food. So, uh, so if I want to actually add it uh, to the TCR, all i got to do is just stick uh, a certain amount of tokens uh, uh, with the TCR. Uh, you know, with the smart contracts that uh, holds the list, stake uh, some tokens, uh, put uh, you know, put my suggestion up, and then from there, uh, this group of curators, uh, who themselves will stake tokens, will curate, uh, you know, well, will evaluate my submission uh, and see whether it should be added to the list. So really, at least when it comes to the people who actually are your curators, this is based on tokens. So ideally, you know, you know the more tokens you have, the better chance you have of being a curator. So uh, you know, it's just a token-weighted version of a, of a recommendation system. And so those curators, you know, they'll assess the content, uh, you know, assess my suggestion to add the best Chinese restaurant in town uh, to their list, and so. You know, depending on which way uh, they go, uh, let's say they uh, agree to uh, include my uh, my suggestion to the list. You know, the people who uh, who said that my suggestion should be added to the list, and uh, they were in the majority. While the people who said it shouldn't be added to the list, and they're in the minority, uh, the people uh, who uh, who are in the minority will lose their tokens, and those uh, the tokens will be redistributed uh, to the people uh, who vote for my suggestion. And, uh, and vice versa, uh, if my uh, suggestion was actually uh, rejected, uh, majority rejected it. So that's kind of the, the skin in the game approach for, uh, for, uh, for TCRs, at least how they've been traditionally uh, structured uh, in the blockchain space. But uh, you know, there's many different designs for, uh, for TCRs, but yeah, I, you know, some of them are kind of cool, some kind of aren't. But uh, yeah, you know, there's there's a good amount of work, but there's just been like less work on it since you know 2017, 2018 because 
you know, these these things like explode as much as people thought they would, and they do just run into a lot of problems. Because you know, just like uh, the example I gave of of a restaurant list, you know, uh, you know, once again, there's really no ground truth, and uh, how exactly do you you know verify this information? It's gonna cost you too much because you know I'm just saying, oh, this restaurant, I think. Uh, and uh, and Scott Staler's uh, Chinese restaurant is, is the best in town. How I mean, if none of these people are in Scottsdale, uh, how are they ever gonna figure that out? It's like you you can, you can try Yelp, but then again, uh, you know you don't know if people are reporting honestly on Yelp. So you know how are they really gonna find out? It's like well, the only way you can really find out is if you send someone there to go to the restaurant. But then of course you know. One person reporting how good a restaurant is, you know, doesn't really tell you how, you know, it's not enough. You need, you know, multiple reports. So you're going to need this person multiple times. And it's like, you know, if you don't have anyone in Scottsdale, Arizona, well, you got to, you know, send them there. You got to pay for the gas or you got to pay for a plane ticket. You got to pay for the meals. You got to pay for the, for lodging. You know, that's all going to cost too much. And of course, you know, no one wants to pay that much. So then, you know, how do you ever really, uh, you know, hope to, you know, at least when it comes to the curious, like, how are they ever going to really know anything, uh, about, you know, this restaurant, so I could really just put any restaurant I want up, and it's like, well, how are you going to know, you're not, you don't have the money to verify, because it costs so much, so, that's, uh, one problem you can run in with, uh, with TCRs, uh, so that's something just to, just to keep in mind with them, and so at least, uh, going back to this paper's example of, uh, of uh, TCRs, uh, yeah, at least the way they apply the peer prediction uh, mechanism, I thought was you know quite uh, yeah, I thought it was quite amazing. And I mean, I haven't really seen anyone apply it this way. So at least the way they were gonna use the peer prediction mechanism was uh, you know as a as a payment uh, mechanism uh, to reward the uh, curators for uh, for truthful reporting. And so at least, you know, just going uh, off the paper, at least two of the things they wanted to address uh, uh, with uh, with the peer prediction uh, mechanism, and at least, you know, their approach was also to go with decentralized, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, participants in uh, in their TCR, which is pretty much the same thing you would do for a traditional TCR, and, uh, you know, also the same with, uh, you know, with that oracles as well, since TCR is the oracle, but, uh, uh, so, yeah, it's used as a payment mechanism, and at least they're trying to address you know two problems which arise in TCRs. Uh, so at least the first problem was just a uh, you know uh, strategic misreporting, which is pretty much just collusion. So it's having uh, curators collude with each other to make sure that you know they always get tokens. You know that can always uh, be a problem. Uh, and then you know, the second problem was uh, just making sure that you can build consensus without p- people worrying about losing their tokens. Well, at least worrying too much about losing their tokens, because you know people worry too much about losing their tokens. They're not really going to invest the effort uh, into actually evaluating uh, uh, the proposed uh, addition to uh, to the list. Because you know if you're worried about losing your tokens, you're not. You're always going to go with uh, an avoidance strategy, and uh, something that's not going to. Uh, you know, well, you're not going to put in as much effort because you just don't want to lose your tokens. So that's something you also have to worry about. And so at least, you know, applying this uh, to the open science and, you know, specifically uh, peer review and, you know, coming back to uh, the paper, which, uh, which I still think is pretty amazing, uh, 
you know, at least one of the big things. It's just like, you know, actually do want uh, something of doing a, like anonymous peer review, but making sure that uh, the people who get selected uh, are relatively uh, experts uh, in their field. Uh, at least what was suggested in the paper was using a, a citation graph uh, and then, you know, creating a recommendation system, which is pretty similar to the page rank algorithm. So pretty much what you'd be looking at is that if you can make a graph of all the citations, uh, you know, then you know, you know, the more cited the paper is, generally the more important the paper is, and the you know, more important paper is, generally the, you know, more uh, expertise that a particular uh, researcher should have. And then if we're dealing with anonymous nodes, like, all right, so this node should be more important than these other nodes. And of course, you know, you, uh, of course, you should also know the uh, relevance of the of the the papers itself. So, like, you know, you know, for like this paper, which uh, just deals with computer science, you know, it has a lot of citations. Uh, so, you know, if someone submits a paper uh, to this TCR, uh, you know, uh, regarding uh, computer science, uh, this person should have a, a good chance of uh, of being a of being a reviewer because they've shown uh, the expertise based on the citations. So that's kind of like just an example, just based on the paper itself, of how you would kind of suggest, well, recommend someone to be uh, a reviewer, uh, in other words, curator of, uh, of the content uh, to the TCR. And in this particular context, like who's you know, curating this paper uh, by reviewing it to determine whether we should prove it to be uh, Included in our list of uh, of research papers, or you know, if uh, you know, TCR is just like a journal, I mean, that's also another good way of looking at TCR. It's kind of like a research journal. Uh, it's like oh, so we you know a lot of paper into our journal. So at least that's uh, kind of like the open science example, uh, and you know, those were really the only two examples I wanted to go over. But to me, there's a lot more uh, uh, areas where peer production uh, can apply to. And especially for uh, for blockchain and a lot of other blockchain applications as well. Uh, but uh, I just want, uh, at least for this episode, just to talk about uh, the peer production applications with the, with data oracles and uh, token query registries uh, in the context of open science. So yeah, that's pretty much the episode. Uh, hopefully, uh, you found this interesting, uh, at least from uh, from my uh, brief reading on. The peer protection mechanism it does seem uh, you know pretty cool and uh, it does have a lot of applications uh, you know to blockchain and uh, I'd say even just like web3 in general just because of you know uh, the way it's you know the mechanism is structured and the fact it makes a lot more sense for uh, if you're trying to do somewhat anonymous or decentralized uh, uh, reviews uh, of uh, of, inf- well, of information, just trying to get honest information from uh, f- from a crowd of uh, decentralized or anonymous uh, uh, people. Uh, so, uh, and then other than uh, you know, and so, so of course we're also gonna have a, a reading list uh, regarding uh, uh, the peer prediction mechanism, which we should have uh, in our GitHub repository, uh, hopefully within the next two or three months. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions regarding the peer protection mechanism, you can always uh, send us uh, your questions at uh, letyourback at gmail.com. 
and uh, you know, regarding any of the applications, you can also send us uh, that too. Uh, just you know, the more we like it, the more we understand, and the more we realize uh, where it could be applied, and you know, hopefully, you know, the benefits we can derive from it can help increase adoption of uh, of blockchain, smart contracts, uh, and data oracles, and hopefully, you know, improve uh, you know move us more in that direction. And, you know, at least, you know, just as I was showing with the open science example, you know, bring blockchain open science together and just blockchain other areas uh, together. So that's, uh, that'd be also something that'd be very cool uh, to see. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, it for that episode. Uh, once again, my name is Charles, uh, uh, and this is uh, episode three uh, on the pure prediction mechanism. Uh, so I'm signing out. Uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you guys tune in for the next session of the Phil and Matt series on musings. Uh, yeah, hopefully we, you know, you've enjoyed uh, uh, the series so far, uh, especially on the musings, and hopefully uh, you'll come back and uh, listen to the next one. And lastly, at least regarding contact information, so as I celebrate our emails at ledgerback at gmail.com, you can find us on Twitter at ledgerback, you can find us on Medium at ledgerback. Uh, usually we just search ledgerback, L-E-D-G-E-R-B-A-C-K. Uh, pretty much in any search engine. We, we usually are one of the first uh, results that come up. So you know, if you're looking for us, uh, you can usually find us. And you know, if you have any questions regarding uh, this episode, the peer prediction mechanism, or anything else going on at uh, the intersection of, you know, of Web3, blockchain, uh, open science, platform cooperativism, uh, uh, comments peer-to-peer, uh, we're usually the, you know, we're good people to at least <laughs> ask these questions towards, so yeah, if you do have any of those questions, just you know, send it over to us, because you know, we just like to take a look, and hopefully we can uh, help you out. Mm-hmm.